Good to see you this morning. You turn over to uh, Hebrews 11 as we get started. I have a few announcements to make for us here. Uh, first of all, with the mother-daughter tea, it is $10 per person. I know when you see it and it says for $20, that will be the mother and daughter together. So it's $10 per person. And if you bring more than one daughter, it would just be 10 more dollars. So it's not $20 per person. So $10 per person for that. Also, I want to make it clear, as I got everybody, uh, we will not have midweek this Wednesday. The school has an activity going on, so we are not able to use the school. But we will continue to have our normal midweeks. So this upcoming Friday, we will have a singles devotional here. And uh, I'll... We're going to have a short Devo. We're going to have a panel discussion with a married couple uh, who dated in the church, got married. But then from the singles, we're going to have singles up on the panel discussion. Because we're going to talk a lot about things, building, and other things. So uh, I'm sure I don't even have to publicize that. Everybody's going to be there to talk about this uh, devotional. Uh, but that's this Friday. Uh, at the same time, the first Wednesday, or the night, May 9th, we will have a marriage midweek. And George and Brenda Boyce are going to be sharing with us uh, this midweek. And then on the 16th is a parenting midweek. And we're going to have Kevin and Andy Finnerty. They're going to be doing it for us, the elders from the church here. And then on the 23rd, we're going to have a singles midweek. And Phil Garrison will be here from Brooklyn. He's uh, is going to be leading that midweek service for the singles devotional. So, the first Wednesday and the last Wednesday, there's five Wednesdays in May, we will not have service here, just the three in the middle. I want to make that clear, so you don't have to call me or text me and ask me. I'm telling you now, you come, it's not going to be open except those three Sundays. Now next month, uh, the month of June is going to be even more interesting. We're going to have... Uh, Larry and Mary Lou Craig are going to be here doing stuff. Uh, Steve Kennard is going to be talking with the singles, giving you that scholarly teaching. Uh, it's going to be a great time. So I'm really looking forward to our midweeks uh, doing awesome. Uh, but when we return back from Thrive, we're going to go to men and women's midweeks. So it's not going to be marriage, parenting, singles. It's going to be men and women's. But we'll talk about that. That's months away. But just so you know ahead of time on that. Um, also... I uh, forget anything. Oh, yeah. Next Sunday, as James talked about, two services, 10 o'clock for English, 1 o'clock in Spanish. Now, yeah, that too, Felix. Um, are you still standing up? You're the only one that stood up during contribution after they said, please don't sit down. Felix, I saw you. Your wife's sitting there like, oh, Lord, help me. So we're going to have two services. And the thing about it, you've got to remember, guys, there's going to be a lot of activities going on afterwards because we have uh, people that's going to need parking. We're going to have another group coming in. And we're having the basketball league here at the school starting on May 6th. So there's going to be different regions playing basketball over there. We're going to have a Latin service. It's just going to be a lot going on. So I want to encourage you, like, after our 10 o'clock service, to have some good fellowship, because it doesn't start till 1. 
but let's not linger and wait all day. We've got to allow people to have time to be able to get in and set up for the next service and even for the basketball tournament that's coming up. So Malik Davis is in charge of the Bronx basketball team. Uh, where is Malik? Malik in here somewhere, or is he back there guarding something? Okay. If you're interested in playing, please talk to Malik. And I hope we get enough. That way I don't have to play. My wife said I couldn't play, uh, but So I know she doesn't want me to play, so I probably, probably won't play. So this uh, Hebrews 11, verse 32, our scripture for the past month or so here says, uh, and what, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethro, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Last week we talked about Jethro and just talked about his vows, how he stayed committed to his vows that he had, and that gave us a great example. But today we're going to talk about David. And I know we hear a lot of stories about David. But I want to talk about what made David the kind of person that put him in the hall of faith. you got to ask, was it because he killed Goliath that he was in the hall of faith? Well, let me show you something. Look over in First Chronicles chapter 20. First Chronicles, Old Testament. Chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 5. It says here, In another battle with the Philistines, Lahanan, son of Jer, killed Lami, the brother of Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. So the fact that David killed Goliath, well, wait a minute, somebody else killed Goliath's brother too, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Well, then look here what it says in verse 6. And still another battle which took place at Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in all. He also was a descendant from Rahab. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. So was it because of David's family line? Nope. His brother killed this great big person too, but yet he's not in the Hall of Fame. So you look, it's not about some accomplishment he did. It's not about who his family members are. Was it because he was a good king? Maybe because he was such a good king he's in there. Well, look over in Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10 in verse 1. After the time of Abimelech, a man of Ishakar, Tola, son of Pua, son of Dodo, Rose to save Israel. He lived in Shemar in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried in Shemar. Now this guy was a great ruler, a great king. He, 23 years, he reigned and great things happened. Nobody invaded, nobody did anything, but he's not in the hall of faith either. So you look and all he's known for is his granddaddy Dodo. And it's like... What is the big deal here? There is something special about David. Not his accomplishments, not his reigning as king. There's something else about him, his character, that God said, I want everybody to imitate and notice about David. And this is why he is in the Hall of Faith. 
And so as we go to that, I want to lead us in a word of prayer, and then I want us to continue on our lesson today. Let's go to God. Almighty God, I pray that you will help us today to see what you want us to see, that each of us will walk away different than we walked in, that we'll be more impacted, and that we'll be drawn closer to you, more encouraged, more inspired, and more faithful to you and all that you do. Father, thank you so much for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you two examples before we start. One day an elderly lady was getting ready to pull her Cadillac into a parking space when a young man whipped his car right in front of her, his new sports car. He got out, she rolled down her window and said, who do you think you are, Sonny? He said, I'm young and I'm fast, old lady. And he went on into the store. When he returned to his car, he found the old lady taking her Cadillac, ramming his car time and time again. He ran up to her and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm old and I got good insurance. I'm getting revenge. I'm not going to tell you who she was, but it happened. There's another story of a soldier who was fighting over in Iraq who received a letter from his girlfriend, and she said she was breaking up with him. In the letter, she also asked him to return the picture of herself that she had given him because she needed it for a bridal announcement. The soldier was brokenhearted. So he told all his friends about the breakup and her request. Then one of the soldiers had a great idea. He said, why don't we get every guy in the platoon to give you pictures of their girlfriends? You send them over to her and then say, for the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours. So please remove your picture and bring the rest back to me. Now, that's messed up. <laughs> But these two stories have one thing in common. People taking revenge. Taking vengeance. Now that's our natural inclination. I appreciate what Juan said earlier today. Somebody said something, he was ready to snap back into Hong Kong food. He was about to mess somebody up. But sometimes that's our natural inclination. You hit me on this cheek, I'm going to turn another cheek as I come back with this one. That's the way we think sometimes. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Now, we may not actually say that in our mind, but that's in our nature. That's in our character. You bust on me, I'm busting on you. And then here we go. And then, oh, you talking about my cooking? I'm talking about how you so nasty. I mean, we just go back and forth, husbands, wives, friends, everybody. A lot of times we seek vengeance. But you know what? A true man or woman of God does not seek vengeance. They instead... Leave it up to the Lord to bring about justice. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 2. I didn't even know why I was going to talk about that this morning, but that's a great example of exactly what we're talking about today. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. This again is Jesus, and it says, talking about Jesus, it says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If ever there was someone who might take vengeance, obviously Jesus was number one. Not only could he have taken vengeance, he had the power to do it. 
A lot of us, we think we got the power to do something, but we ain't got that much power. But Jesus could have taken vengeance. You know who else could have taken vengeance? It's David. David conducted himself with humility and integrity. And here is King Saul. He was king over the land. And the Philistines were coming in and they were taunting uh, Saul, taunting Israel. And there was David as a young boy who stood up and fought against Goliath, conquered Goliath, saving Saul and his kingdom, literally. And then Saul took him into his courthouse and said, I want you to be with me. I'm thankful for it. But Saul eventually stopped living the way God wanted him to live. And then Saul started being tormented by an evil spirit. It would cause him to have migraines, he would have anxiety, he would just be stressed, he would have anger. And so David would play an instrument and it would calm him down and relieve him of his stress and his agony. But one day as he was doing that, King Saul was so upset he took his spear and just chugged it at David. And David moved out the way because he was trying to kill him. It didn't just happen once or twice, but it happened three times that Saul was throwing a spear at the guy that just saved him and his kingdom. you got to remember that. This, he's trying to kill the very person that saved what Saul has. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 23. David's life was in danger time and again, so David decided, you know what? It's time for us to run. It's time for me to flee. Because if he's this angry to try to kill me three times in his own courthouse, what is he going to do another time later? So David decides he's going to run and flee. Now Saul was upset because Saul knew that David was the one that was going to be taking over his kingdom. So he was jealous. Because as, as David went out and conquered and conquered, people started making up songs that said, Saul has slain his thousands, David has slain tens of thousands. And the king was like, oh no, you're not getting more praise than me. See, the king didn't like playing second fiddle. He wanted to be the only conductor. And so he got upset. He started trying to kill David. When 1 Samuel 23, look at verse 25. Saul and his men began to search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Moab. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Moab in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah Hamlekotha. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of the En Gedi. Now on the map, the En Gedi is on the west shore of the Dead Sea. And it actually means, En Gedi means spring of goats. Because during this time, they had flush hills, it was green pastures, they had uh, waterfalls coming down, and it was high mountain cliffs. So this was a great place for David to hide because he was high enough to see anybody that was coming after him or pursue him before they got there. And it was enough land and it was uh, healthy enough for them to be able to live there. It was a perfect place for him. So look in chapter 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. 
So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, you got to remember, they didn't have porta-potties or restrooms during this time. So if you had to relieve yourself, you had to go find a cave and go into a cave and do your business, which you had to do. Verse 4. Well, I'm sorry, let's go verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Now, this is interesting. You could not have written a better book than this. Of all the caves in the world, he would happen to go into the one cave that David and his men were in. You got to say, God had a hand in this. There is no way he found that one cave in the whole desert to go into. So as he's in there relieving himself, here's David's men. Now you got to remember, these are warriors. These guys are bent on killing. And they're saying, this is the day the Lord talked about, man. When he said he's going to deliver the enemies into your hands, do with them as you wish. You know, I looked for about 20 minutes for this scripture. I never found that anywhere in the Bible. This is a day the Lord made for you to have your enemies in your hands. It does not say that. This must be the book of second opinions or something. It didn't say that. But when you get some mighty killing warriors, in their mind, that's what the Lord is saying. Because the Lord had a hand in bringing them here, so the Lord wants you to kill them. So they switched that into some false scriptures. You know how people do sometimes when they really want something? They make it biblical and they own minds. There's a whole, there's a big book of second opinions running around New York somewhere. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but this is one of the greatest tests of a man's character. When your enemy is vulnerable and you're able to do something about it. Look what David did in verse 4. Um, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Then David went out. The, uh, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Again, David's men tempted him to get revenge, to get vengeance. Now you got to remember, God may have had a hand in Saul coming to this cave, but it was still David's choice of what to do with the situation. See, many times we can look at a situation like that and say, oh, well, the Lord did this, so it must be the way I feel. God may have had a hand in it, but it's still your choice of what to do with it. That unspiritual voice can be so strong sometimes. 
And sometimes it can even make sense. He could have sat there and said, well, why else would he be in this one cave if he wasn't meant to be killed right now by me? And that's exactly what his men were talking to in his ear. See, this is why you got to be careful who you surround yourself with. Because those voices that are talking to you can be saying something that make you feel like it's God's will. But it's still your choice and you have to suffer the consequences. Because when it was all done, David felt guilty about cutting off a corner of the king's robe. Because to actually touch the king's robe is to touch the king himself. And that was forbidden. I mean, think about it. Even in the book of Esther, she couldn't even go to her husband unless he extended the royal scepter. You can't touch the king like that. I mean, one time I saw where Michelle and Barack Obama was over in England and she went to hug the, the queen and the queen looked back like, woman, who are you? It doesn't even matter how high you are in a certain country. You don't touch the king. And that's convicted David in his heart. Now, he probably said, I could have done a lot more than I did. But what I did was still so wrong. And sometimes this is where we get. We get to, I could have did more. I didn't do as much as I could have. But do you see what you did was still wrong? It doesn't matter what you could have done. What you did was enough. And David had a soft enough heart to even look at that and say, even that is taking vengeance on the Lord's anointing. I have to respect him more than that. And this was a moment of truth for David. And it helped his heart. Look in verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have, not wronged, I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. He just put it all out there for Saul. I could have killed you, but I didn't because I respect God and I respect you. Now imagine telling your enemy, I respect you. Now, I, I don't normally talk about what I'm about to say. Usually when I say that, I probably shouldn't say it. But, okay, no. We really have to look and evaluate our personal feelings. Because there are people that we need to respect even though we don't like or agree with what they do. They may even be leading our country. And we still need to respect who they are 
because of God. Now the thing about it, it was about a third of us that clapped. Because sometimes we let our feelings, and we say we're Christians. And this is where I have a problem with a lot of things in America. People say they love God and they Christians, where God is calling us still to respect authority. So if we don't respect authority, we don't respect God. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything, but it means we need to have at least respect enough for the position. Myself included. I'm preaching to us. Look at verse 16. Because he acted like this. Look at verse 14. I'm sorry. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my, fam- from my family's, my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. So after David confessed, David talked, David shared that, even hard-hearted Saul softened up for a moment. And he says, you know, I know God is surely going to place you in the kingdom. You are going to be the king. Saul said, let me ask one favor, though, that you do not destroy my family. Because what happens when a new king comes in, they kill the old regime. Everybody who was in the family before them, reigning, all of them die. Because they don't want any uprising to come back on them. So they just kill them all. So that's why Saul said, but please, spare my family. And David was a man of his word. He did that. If you continue reading, he did save them. So it looks like everything is great. But then two chapters later, Saul once again is in pursuit. You see, sometimes we can humble out. We can get things right. But you know what? If we don't really deal with the heart and put maintenance on it, it's going to come back again. The Bible says that evil spirit leaves, comes back, see the house unclean, seven more with them. See, just because you may repent at that moment, if you aren't still dealing with that sin, it's just going to come back and get worse. Look in chapter 26, verse 1. The Zephites went to Saul at Gibba and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jehoshaphat? So Saul went down to the desert of Zippah with his three thousand chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Halakot, facing Jehoshaphat, 
But David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. So Saul again is in hot pursuit with 3,000 men trying to kill David. But this time, instead of running, David decides to aggressively step forward and deal with the situation. Look at verse 5. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had kept. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Abimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the, to the army by night, and there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp with a spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, one of his friends again, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone awake. But they were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. So we see again, David has a chance to take Saul's life. And you've got to remember, let's go back. This is the same guy that tried to kill him three times earlier. And now hunted him, ran him out of the whole country. Now he's living in the desert. Now his whole life has changed. He's supposed to be king, but now he's out there with the goats living in caves because of this man. And now he has another opportunity to do it. See, first he let him go. And he thought, okay, he repented. But now he come back again. See, how many times do we talk to somebody and they actually repent and then they sin again? What's our attitude about them then? Well, I tried one time. I even tried twice. And they still acting a fool. You know what? I ain't dealing with them no more. That's just who they are. I ain't even dealing with you. I ain't even going to give you no Christian hug. I ain't even high-fiving you or giving you the peace sign. I ain't giving you nothing. But see, here's a man who's really trying to kill David, and David still said, no, 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 no. I'm going to do the righteous thing. So they take the water jug. They take the spear. Look at verse 13. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out uh, to the army and Abner, son of Ner. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spirit and the water jug that was near his head? Now, you know, at this time, that guard, he's just shaking in his heel. He's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, what had happened was, verse 17, Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, 
Yeah, why are you always calling me son, by the way? I could have killed you three times. Anyway, it's a term of endearment. David replied, yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, you know, he called him son, but he kept calling him my lord, the king. Again, a level of respect. Okay, that's another sermon. I got to stay for And he added, why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall on the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you consider my life precious today. I will not harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred uh, greatly. Here's the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointing. As surely as I value your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and returned home. Saul went on his way and returned home. I'm sure David did too, but it says Saul went on his way home. So again, David had a chance to take Saul's life. Now here's the thing. David knew that God would remove Saul from office. from office <laughs> by his own means according to his own plan. So David had no need to take Saul's life because he trusted that God was going to deal with the situation. Now, that's the story. How can we apply this to ourselves today? Let me wrap this up. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. The Bible says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Two simple points I want to leave us with in how we can have this kind of heart like David. The first one is this. Faith and forgiveness turns our problem over to God. Faith and forgiveness turns the problem over to God. We see, David knew exactly who was in control of the destiny of all men. He knew that he was going to be king because God told him he was going to be king. Even King Saul knew he was going to be king. And here's the thing. David was able to forgive because he knew this is what God promised me, even though it does not look like it right now, that's what's going to happen. And so I'm going to trust God. 
Now, a lot of times we all say, we trust God, we trust God, we trust God. But we trust him when things are going the way we think it should go. If we trust him, he said, this is the end result. You don't worry about what road I take you to get to that end result. You need to trust me on all those curves and hills. Don't say you trust me when it's a smooth territory. But when it's bumpy, that's when I need to see that you trust me. And this is where we need to understand. Even when we pray about something, we need to pray about it and then live as if it's happened. But instead, we pray about it, and then when it doesn't happen right away, we start wavering and, oh, my goodness, does God love me? Does God hear me? What's going on? He said, okay, do you really trust me? If you do, then just focus on the outcome, not on the road that's getting you there. This is what David was able to do. And David knew this, and then Saul even knew this. Saul even said it. But here's the key thing I want us to look at. Again, in 1 Samuel 24, verse 12, it says, May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hands will not touch you. David said, May the Lord judge between you and me. Honestly, if we look at these relationships in our lives, marriages, coworkers, whatever, and just leave it up to God to judge between it, we would get along so much better with so many people. But see, what happens is we feel like we got to have a last say. we got to have something in it. Basically, what you're saying is, God, I don't trust that you can fully handle this, so let me help you out for a minute here. Now, we're not arrogant enough to verbally say that, but that's how we live. But I, I, I'm not saying be passive. See, if we're going to deal with something in the efforts of resolving it, that's different. But if we go in there to prove a point, to get vengeance, that's ungodly. And so we got to really look and just say, you know what? If I'm going to turn this over to God, then I'm going to focus on the result that God wants and not on the road and the journey of how to get there. David truly trusted God. Look again at Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You see, he wanted to uh, give me a number. If we had like five, I know I got two more times to put up with this fool. He says, so I, I want a number. So Jesus asked, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. See, he said not just the number seven, but that's, that's perfection. I mean, that's like forever. As long as they keep coming for forgiveness, you keep giving forgiveness. Some people seek revenge because that's their whole mission in life, to get revenge. They're so upset and hurt by something that all they want is revenge. One person, Walter Wrecker, wrote, Revenge has no more quenching effect on emotions than salt water has on thirst. Not forgiving is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It just makes no sense whatsoever, and it just causes harm to yourself. First thing we need to do is we need to have faith and forgiveness. That's how we turn over to God. Because a lot of times people say, trust God. Well, how do you trust God? Well, you have faith and you forgive. All you got to do is focus on what God says the end result's going to be and not on that journey there. And then the second thing, 
Faith and forgiveness keeps the heart pure and tender before God. If we're faithful and we forgive, then that's what keeps our heart pure before God. You've got to realize, all David had to do was kill Saul. And if he did, he now would be able to go live in the palace, have all the money he wanted, all the treasures. His whole life could have been different if he had just killed Saul. But instead, he said, it is more righteous for me not to go against God, even though that would give me pleasures and, and comfort. It's more important for me to be right with God than to have the comforts of the world. The problem is, the biggest thing I see with harboring offenses is that sometimes we manufacture in our minds what other people are thinking. When in fact, they ain't even, they're not even thinking about you. I was about to go straight up hood for a minute there. But we're, we're so worried, this is what they're thinking, and this, this is what they could be thinking, and this might happen, and they're going on with life happy. But we're stuck back here worried about what somebody might be thinking. The only exercise you get with holding on is jumping to conclusions. That's the only exercise. You just jump into conclusions about what everybody's thinking. Acts 13, verse 22. Let me close with this. Acts 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king, referring to God. He testifies concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. What was it about David that made him the kind of person that God says, he's a man after my own heart? See, we look and say, well, wait a minute, he sinned with Bathsheba. He did all kind of stuff. Yes, he did. But you know what his heart was about, though, bigger than anything else? Forgiveness. Who else can forgive God. God has said, you know what? I, I'm about forgiving. I'm about loving you. And I'm looking out there and I see somebody else that is also about forgiving. David. He's a man after my own heart. If you want to have the heart of God, you've got to have a heart to forgive. Even when it doesn't feel good, look good, or benefit you, do you forgive? You think about Jesus. Jesus forgave people even though they didn't even apologize to him. Father, forgive them for what they're doing. They don't even realize what they're doing. So you've got to ask yourself, do I forgive even without somebody coming to apologize to me? Can I really forgive and move on? Because sometimes we're still stuck back in 2000 and 1998 and 1987 and all. We're still living back there. Because we won't just forgive and move on. Deep hurt calls us to not forgive. But deep hurts also pushes us away from God. We have to learn to forgive. We can't say we're like Jesus when Jesus forgave unconditionally, but we have conditions on our forgiveness. You know, the thing about David that sets him apart, that puts him in the hall of faith, is that he had a heart to forgive. He had a heart to trust God because he knew the outcome. As a disciple of Jesus, your outcome is one day you're going to be with God in heaven. And if that is what you're looking at as your focus, it doesn't matter what happens on that windy road, getting there. You just focus on getting there. Forgiving, loving, trusting God. 
This is a lot in here, guys. There's a lot in here for us. And so if you ever read the Bible, say, you know what? I just don't find anything good about the Bible. It's just kind of stale. You're not reading the same Bible I'm reading. Because you can look and find Dodo's grandson was a ruler. You can see also that God is saying, listen, I'm showing you the heart you need to have. I want to encourage you, stay in your Bible day after day. The moment you get out your Bible, you get out of forgiveness. To God be the glory. Amen.